It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. You're listening to Music City Gold. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We are brought to you by Seventh Elements. We've got a great show for you today. Justin Bradford, the editor in chief of Penalty Box Radio, will be joining us. And I'm your host, Kyle. With me, as always, is Matt. Hey, guys. And no, Daniel. That's right. This is going to be a Daniel Mangrum free episode, but is not any fault of his own. He got called away last minute to a work trip, literally got on the plane this morning and left. And I told him, I was like, dude, your work couldn't have picked you on a worse time. Podcast night is all hands on deck night. Yeah, we uh, adhere to a strict schedule. It's usually every uh, Monday night here. There has to be some extraneous circumstances for it to not be thus. But while he's not here, at least uh, work's getting to pay for not quite a vacation, but you still get to go out of town. So that's a little bit of a break from the norm. And that's, that's nice, especially if you get a little bit of expenditures you can pay for. They probably pay for your meals and hotel and whatnot. So that'd be a nice little uh, needed break, I'd say. And it was funny because we were trying to get ready for the show. And I was like, hey, man, are we able to get into the studio? And he's like, yeah, I got the key here and the mat. Just go on in and get it done. And it's just funny thinking about that because I had a business trip happening a couple of weeks ago. And I was concerned that we wouldn't be able to do the show to the point that I was like, I can have the guys do it and I can call them. And we almost tried to get Daniel to call into the show if he had time, but he never got back with letting us know. So we were like, you know what? It's Matt and I. We can do this. That's true. He may or may not be out of the country, so a phone call might be a little harder than usual. So uh, we'll make it work with what we got. But hey, you know, mentioning uh, traveling, I saw an interesting article from ESPN.com's Emily Kaplan uh, the other day, and she had created a poll. It was an anonymous poll. Uh, she polled, of course, a couple, I don't know how many it was, NHL players, and uh, get their thoughts on some uh, some interesting questions. So I thought I'd make mention of it. Uh, the first question is, which team has the worst visiting locker room? And 42 Hold pers- on. I've not read this poll, so I want to guess. Okay. So what's the question? Which team has the worst visiting locker room? I'm going to say Winnipeg because it's freaking cold. That is a good guess. Uh, but 42% said Washington Capitals. And a couple of the players anonymously gave us uh, gave a quote as to why. And uh, this particular gentleman said, Washington showers are so bad, they're like a prison shower. There's a pole in the middle, then just spews that come out from that one pole. Not that I care if someone is showering next to me, but it's just a really weird setup. And I thought that was pretty interesting. So some of the players are comparing that to being like in prison. I can't imagine that's a very comfortable environment to go to, but uh, not something I would expect from Washington. But also uh, Boston got uh, the second place with 34% of the vote. And kind of similar about being cold, they said one particular player said that Boston is brutal. You're right there next to the rink. It's cold. You're not comfortable. If you feel comfortable, you're going to play well. So that's probably why they do it. It's a competitive advantage for them. And I think that's that is pretty interesting. I wonder if that was planned or not. It certainly makes sense either 
if it was even if it wasn't planned subconsciously you know like oh you know this, this kind of sucks to shower and you know it's cold and you, you know feel a little out of your element and that certainly had a bit of an impact there's a lot of uh not necessarily emotions, but it's kind of a mental game once you step on the ice. And if you're kind of having an off day, you know, players are so keen on the rituals. They have the same meal, you know, same pregame nap. And if you if you mess that up a little bit, it can certainly throw a guy off. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So the next question is, she asked, would you play for Seattle in year one? And 60% of the players that she polled said yes. Uh, yeah, look at the uh, Golden Knights, what happened with them. Exactly. I do it. Exactly. Uh, the first guy said, quote, the success of Vegas has definitely opened guys' minds up to it a little bit more. I'd probably like playing there, but I wouldn't want my team to give me up. So I certainly can understand that. And then, uh, you know, the next guy, similar sentiment. He said, I think it would be a lot of fun. It's a great city. It seems like they're putting a lot of money into that rink. It's new. So that's going to be cool. And it worked out with Vegas last time. So, hey, why not? And uh, the third one I'll mention is, uh, I really like this one. Which road city do you dread going to the most? You got to guess about this one. Oh, goodness. My mind immediately goes back to Winnipeg because I think Winnipeg's a place I would hate to travel. I think Edmonton and I think Calgary. You know what? I think any of the Canadian upper northern Canadian cities would just be terrible to go to. Yeah, I I think that was uh, pretty much the consensus. The uh, number one vote getter was Winnipeg with 42% of constituents. And I got a couple quotes. Uh, The first guy said, Winnipeg, it's always cold, tough rink to play in. It's just dirty. You walk around the city and feel like you need to wash your face after you go outside. So nothing about that is very exciting. Not at all. Ugh. Yeah, that was kind of insulting. You need to wash your face. I was like, oh, ouch, just going to sting some fans in Winnipeg. But uh, Maybe they need to bring them back down to Atlanta. <laughs> that's right. And the next guy said, uh, the quote, Winnipeg is just depressing. You don't even want to leave the hotel to get a cup of coffee. So yikes. Yeah, it sounds like all the guys try to uh, avoid Winnipeg at all costs, it seems like. Ugh, you got any more of those? Uh, that's all I got, but I thought I'd mention a couple of them since we were talking about travel. So pretty interesting. Oh, goodness. Well, you know, you're talking about um, things being cold and, you know, you're talking about ice and stuff. And it just made me think about uh, something happened a little while ago, and that was the injury to the avalanche, Matt's Calvert. Did you see that? Oh, yeah, that that was brutal. Oh, man. So basically, they're, they're in a play. This is close to the third period. It's maybe two, two or three minutes left in the game. Kind of a close game. And Matt Calvert lays lays out to uh, block a shot it looked like it was coming from the point or something top of the top of the slot something like that and he lays out and he kind of turns around at the last second because he kind of dekes him out of so when he lays down he's going kind of the wrong way so he tries to backpedal and turns himself the other way but in doing so lines his face right up to the slap shot and takes a puck to the head and wouldn't you know it uh pretty much starts bleeding out of his head. Like he took a ripper right to the head, starts bleeding out on the ice. I think a a guy from the other team was even kind of saying, hey, you know, where's the whistle, man? Where's the whistle at? This guy's obviously hurt. But play continues. And sure sure enough, about 10 seconds later, uh, they score a goal. And everybody, the fans are kind of incensed because there was no whistle called. And this guy's bleeding out on the ice. Well, it's funny because the NHL rulebook says that when a player is injured so that he cannot continue to play or go to his bench, the play shall not be stopped until the injured player's team has secured control of the puck. If the player's team is in control of the puck at the time of the injury, play shall be stopped immediately unless the team is in a scoring position. 
And it's, I get why that rule is there because, you know, you don't know if the person's faking it or not. But when you, I watched that video, he took that puck like probably, I'd say maybe a foot from the release to his face. There's no way you can fake that injury. And it's funny because he had several players have several players have like commented Eric Johnson on the refs of that game said it's a complete joke. It's an absolute joke and they should be ashamed of themselves because, you know, the refs are in a tight spot on that. And even a Blue Jackets, Zach Rowinski, who had something like this happen to him similar in the 2017 playoffs where he got injured and the Penguins scored on his injury while he was trying to get to the bench, said that this is a really tough spot for the refs based on the rule because it puts them in a tough position and I'm sure they don't want to see anyone hurt on the ice. But you got to find a way to make it more clear in situations like this. Well, it is interesting. I found another rule some of some people are bringing up, and it is in the rule book is quote in the case where it is obvious that a player has sustained a serious injury, the referee and or linesman may stop the play immediately. So, while the you know the rule is supposed to be have possession or whatever, there is a bit of a provision for the, re- the linesman can stop it if he deems that it's a serious injury. So. This is really going to open up a discussion because you got you got people mad on both sides. Well, the play could have continued because he could have been faking or whatever. And then you got the other side is, hey, it obviously should have blown dead because the guy was seriously injured. But it's just going to open up such a wide array of discussion of what is the correct because the the rule book doesn't say must stop play. It said may. So it's really up to linesman discretion and what he may or may not see. You know, play happens so fast. You know, I, I think people are so incensed about it. It's not that uh, we're mad about the rule, maybe. I think we're mad at how awful the outcome was. I really, you know, maybe the ref messed up. Maybe he didn't see it, or maybe he just was kind of in the moment and kind of uh, froze up and just kind of let it go, and they just didn't really know what to do. They're like, oh, we got to let it play. Uh, you know, guys make mistakes, referees, you know, we give them a hard time all the time. But uh, a guy has a bad blown call. That's not a big deal. I think we just all don't want to see players injured like this. So it really is going to bring a question of, do we need to enforce this rule all the time? Is it going to be just like a head contact uh, type of decision? Because you, you really can't see what's going on in the lower body. You know, you could be fake and it could not. But if you see blood on the ice, to me personally, I think that's a pretty good reason uh, that probably constitutes serious injury usually. And, and, you know, we even see that in some of the other rules with, uh, where, where injuries, I'm sorry, where penalties get called from minors to double minors is based on injuries and stuff like that. So it's going to be interesting going forward. And I honestly think that this is going to make such a big deal. You're going to have a discussion in this in the off season at the governor's meetings, and this is going to be brought up. And we're going to have a discussion of, are we going to revise the rule on this? Are we going to amend it? And if so, how and why, you know, how are we going to do that? You know, it's funny you're talking about that. So um, it's no secret. I listened to the 31 thoughts podcast by Elliot Friedman. And one of the things that he talks about when they come across rules like this that are kind of got some gray area and they want clarification as to what is and they talk about it like at these uh governor's meetings is he calls it the the rule of unintended consequences so if they do take this rule and they make it more fine-tuned and give it more clarification do you think there could be any unintended consequences to that well yeah and if you look at kind of maybe some examples you look at uh, the net moorings being uh, being thrown off the moorings or whatever. 
uh, and play is supposed to blow dead as soon as the net gets lodged, dislodged. Well, now you're seeing the last two years, you've seen you know more than a handful of times where goalies have intentionally knocked their net off the moorings to try to stop a you know a scoring chance against or whatever. When he knows his defense is bloated and he's about to get a goal scored, he goes ahead and knocks them off. And I'm not talking about just accidentally when you when you slide from crease to crease too hard. That doesn't happen that way. You got you know when it happens, he intentionally does it. So the rule is blow the play dead. So they've taken that rule and kind of gamed it to their advantage by taking it off intentionally. So if you implement this rule where it has to be blown dead off a serious injury, uh, then you might see players maybe try to game that too. They might take one to the you know shoulder or midsection or something and stay down and not be moving and perhaps feign like it's a bigger deal than it is. And you see that even now with tripping calls and stuff. You know, players really good at an acting award. Some of them are really good at that fake and how, how intense it was. And I don't know. It, it, it's tough because everybody is going to have some good eggs and bad eggs. I think the overall sentiment is we don't want to see guys hurt. But as far as if I would make it a hard and fast rule, I, I, I we probably need to have a discussion about that. If if there's blood on the ice, it probably needs to be blown dead. I know the game it was you know the game was coming down to the wire there, but it was to the point where even the guy from the other team was like, "Hey, he's raising his hands. You know, we got to stop this. this. This isn't." And and that's the whole point of it. We we want to stop injuries at most. I think so. I don't know if it was me. I'm probably going to make it a hard and fast rule. I will say though, if anybody gets hit by a Shea Weber slap shot just blow the play dead immediately i've seen that man just almost take people's heads off i've seen people literally dive out of the way of his shots because they're like they're like nope saving a puck is not worth the injury that could come from that shot i remember there was a dallas game i went to with daniel a while back where the goalie got hit in the cup but we thought he got hit in the neck because the way he fell and i was like my lord that man's life could have just ended right there just it's just craziness about that type of stuff you know, it's interesting. If you look at wanting to put specific verbiage in the rules and make it a hard and fast rule that play must be blown dead, you're going to see a little bit of that gaming by the players. But I think overall, it's almost it's almost marginal. If the play was blown dead and, and it wasn't a big injury, then there was a marginal advantage that was lost. But uh, as far as the upside you could possibly prevent a guy from being seriously injured. If, if he's got a serious injury, you might prevent a guy from taking another slap shot to the head or getting skated on, stepped on. You know, How many times have we seen uh, a player down and then take a skate to the eye or the face, and, and, it's, and it's pretty scary. So if you call play dead uh, before it gets to that point, we might be able to prevent some of these almost you know life-threatening possible situations. So I think really the upside for making this – a more hard and fast rule is uh, is probably the way to go, and it, it kind of almost parallels with the discuss, discussion on a concussion protocol. Things are getting tighter in the league lately, as far as uh, they're cracking down on illegal checks to the head, and as far as players going on a, on concussion protocol. Uh, they're cracking down on head injuries, and I think this is going to go the same way. I think the league is getting a little more conservative. This isn't uh, this isn't the high flying nineties anymore. I think uh, we're a little bit more concerned about player safety, and I think you're going to continue to see that and the rules in the future lean a little bit in that direction. Well, since you're talking about the you know, rules, what about uh, Evander Kane's uh, being sued for his five hundred thousand dollar gambling debt? 
Yeah, I heard about that, and I thought that's crazy. This guy, you know, I don't even have to pull up his contract. I know he's making millions, and you've got a supposed, uh, alleged, of course, that's you know the politically correct term, alleged gambling debt in a casino. I think it's in Vegas, and he doesn't pay his uh, books or whatever. So the so the casino, the word on the street is the casino comes out and sues him for that. And I'm thinking, man, you already don't have good publicity. You're already not good in the HR department. Uh, you probably need to pay this under the table and uh, not make any more uh, headline news about this because he's already kind of skirting the line. So uh, I don't like this at all. Like, you're already a millionaire. What are you betting for? Like, you know, you kind of won the lottery with having a freaking professional hockey career. What more do you want? What's the thrill, though? I mean, I mean, I've never personally been to Vegas myself, but, you know, I've done, you know, I've gotten scratch off cards for a holiday gift presents from uh, from my work sometimes. And you just the thrill of going man, if I scratch this, I might win some millions. Yeah, I've heard actually that a lot of uh, NHL players and, and uh, former players still gamble on the games. They, they find it fun because they're not in the game as much anymore. So they like, they like to try to uh, show the, how, how much expertise they have and bet on the gambling lines on it and stuff. So I guess it's pretty fun. I mean, guys, you know, the boys tend to be the jocks. They like to have fun and goof off and play around and any way to try to have some fun. I, you know, I guess I could think of worse ways to do it. But uh, if you're going to lose money, I guess you got to own up to it and, and pay what's due for sure makes me think of that family guy reference where uh i don't know if it was stewie that was brian brian owed stewie griffin some money and brian wouldn't pay him and stewie griffin basically starts stalking him around and there's this really famous scene you can find it online where brian gets out of the shower and stewie's waiting for him and stewie grabs the towel bar off and starts beating him with it saying where's my money at because brian hasn't paid his money up yet so not saying that's going to happen to vander kane but it's like you know what man pay your gambling debts you know if you're going to do it like you said, Matt, at least own up to it. Well, let's switch over to a little bit more positive note. The Preds have announced that they are going to be playing a 2020 Global Series in Prague against the Boston Bruins. They are going to Prague, and they're also doing training camp in Bern, Switzerland. Uh, they announced that last week, and I think me and Daniel have already been talking about uh, I'm sure he'd like to weigh in on it, but we might actually be going to this. We have both already been to Bern. Uh, that's Roman Yossi's hometown, of course. That's why they're doing training camp there, and I think uh, – uh, Pasternak's hometown is is in uh, is in Prague, so that's where they're going to play the Bruins there. And uh, I've heard that a theme, you know, recently that happened to Pasternak specifically that. The NHL years ago did a global series in Prague, and so him as a kid, you know, 10 or 12 years old or whatever it was, he got to go and see an NHL game because, you know, living in Europe, you don't get to see the NHL quite like we do in America. So that had an impact on him. He got to see, you know, his heroes play the game. And then sure enough, years later, he's playing in the NHL and he's getting to go back to his hometown, uh, you know, see have his grandma on the stands or whatever and watch him play. And I've heard that uh, I've heard some other players say that doing this kind of stuff overseas, playing back in your hometown, it means so much to the players. And you know, the NHL, sure, it's a business, but it's not always about you know necessarily making the best financial commitment to make the most every game. Sometimes it's about giving back to the community. And uh, I'm certainly uh, sure that the players really appreciate having times like this, and not just to grow the game overseas, but to give back to the community in their hometowns. And like you said. Uh, you know, maybe give your grandma some knuckles in the, through the glass, you know, some people, some old family members that don't get the chance to travel to the NHL and see you play. So it would be a really nice opportunity.
opportunity for the Predators and some of their fans to be able to go over there. And I think Daniel and myself are probably actually leaning towards uh, going to this game because we were, me and my wife are actually been talking about going to Prague. And this gives us a really good excuse to go watch hockey uh, overseas because we've been wanting to go to one. And uh, I think this is going to be the one actually. A little envious because my wife and I, we would love to go. We just don't have the money for it right now. Yeah, you just had that big wedding, so. Hey, look, it was a fun wedding. D.C. was fun. We tried to take in a Capitals game since we were there because, you know, I'm a diehard Capitals fanboy on top of being a Preds fan, and we just didn't get the chance. And then when we saw that the, the Preds are playing in Prague, we we're like, are you serious? Yeah, so that's certainly something uh, we kind of – have said before that only the cool fan bases get the uh, the outdoor stadium series games or whatever. So now just the fact that the Preds are getting a global series game is pretty cool and a little something more unique that not every team gets to experience. So I think that's a really good opportunity for Preds fans. So whoever's listening, I think uh, I think you'd be surprised at how many people are going to travel for this game. I think that's a cool opportunity. So Matt, I thought for our Preds segment, since Daniel's not here, I thought we would call in a guest today. So, as I said at the beginning of the show, joining us by phone for the first time, and Matt, this is something I really should have done a long time ago, just never got around to it, our editor-in-chief of Penalty Box Radio, Justin Bradford, is joining us, and he is also the commissioner of the Southeastern Collegiate Hockey Conference, and I think that's all the titles I have. Is that correct, Justin? Uh, yeah, I heard it. I swear, every time I turn around, you have got some new title to your name, so it's always kind of humorous to be like, what are you today? It, it, it never ends. So thank you for joining us, and like I said, I'm sorry it's taken me forever to get here. You know, I didn't realize the other day that we've been doing this podcast for three years, and we just never had you on, so I'm sorry about that. Oh, all good. No need for apologies. You guys keep working. Justin, we'll dive right into this. So this road trip has not been good to the Preds that they just got off of. They had a home game Saturday night against Chicago. Didn't do as well as we'd like either. So they're 19 games into the season. And from what I've always heard, the saying is by mid-November, your team is always shaping up around this time to be who they're going to be for this season. So now that we're mid-November, coming up on Thanksgiving, do you think we have a big enough sample size for this team to say who they are? I think you kind of have that big enough sample size to at least know what you have in terms of talent on this squad, which can be a little frustrating because obviously when you look at this team, they have one arguably the most talented roster they've had in franchise history. And that's what makes it frustrating with the past few games that they've had, uh, and, <laughs> including two games in the past 10 days uh, back to Saturday where they've allowed seven-plus goals, the Colorado game and the Chicago game, and that's not a good look, especially even without P.K. Subban in terms of defense, you still have three top defenders and one decent rookie defender, and you're still allowing seven-plus goals. And they've been completely outscored so much this past two games. And then you have a very difficult November, rest of November coming up, against divisional rivals, against top teams in the league, uh, throughout the conference, and teams in the Eastern Conference that are also extremely competitive right now. They're in the top three of their division. So what we know is that this team has a lot of talent, what we also know is that something is not clicking with this team right now, which is very frustrating that they can't put things together, even though they're controlling shots on net or generating shot opportunities, but they're only doing it really on the rush, not maintaining possession. Uh, so that's what's frustrating about what we know about this team is that they have a lot of the talent, but they're not looking anything like what they did in October when they were just completely winning everything on offense and dominating their opposition. 
that brings up a good point. We were talking about this is a team that, you know, it's not what we know and love. Colton Sisson was quoted after the Chicago loss saying they have some soul searching to do and that this was a frankly embarrassing game for them. So, you know, not trying to, you know, dive into what he was saying too much, but what kind of soul searching can this team do to get back on track, you know, before the Thanksgiving break, the Christmas break, and then be fighting to survive the season? I think it's individually known they each have to be better positionally. And that's what we saw before in October. Positioning this team was fantastic, whether it's defense or, or especially offense, that they could do things and, and intercept passes, clog up passing lanes and shooting lanes. And we're not seeing that as much. I mean, you just look at the Chicago game, uh, Matt Irwin, the bad turnover there. Uh, defensively, the guys went out of position so much to allow guys to be wide open, even after turnover, where you're supposed to be able to cover uh, and recover from those types of things. Uh, so it's, it's, it's that kind of stuff right there that they have to look at themselves and see what they individually need to be doing better. I don't think he was calling out someone in particular or people in particular, but just knowing soul-searching that they know they have the talent. They know they can win. They know they're not a bad team. They're just not executing the way they need to be executing. Uh, similar to the Winnipeg series in the playoffs where Winnipeg looked like they dominated the Predators. It's a lot of it was the Predators not clicking the way they needed to and being off by a half second here or off by, uh, on a pass by an inch here or there. It's a lot of the little things, the details that this team isn't, isn't doing well right now. And that's, again, that's what's frustrating when you know you have the talent, but they're not executing the, in the little things. And I know that can sound cliche when, when someone says they're not doing the details well, but that's what they're not doing. A lot of these little details because they can, they can generate shots. We all know that. I mean, they outshot Chicago by almost double, yet they still lost by five goals. So it's the details that they have to do to be able to execute. Well, we know who the big players are offensively, and we've also seen uh, a lot of our scoring come on the defensive end of the ice. But let's talk some players in the middle, kind of on the fringe. Let's look at Kyle Turris. He's had four goals and five assists in 19 games. We've seen him bounce all over the lineup a little bit. The Preds couldn't quite offload his contract, you know, in the offseason. So they might be possibly looking at shipping him off somewhere else. What are your thoughts on Kyle Turris, and do you think we'll see him in a Preds jersey uh, for the remainder of the year? Remainder of the year? Uh, for the time being, yes, just because it's going to be really tough for another team to take that on unless a situation happens to where another team loses a center and they're able to offload a bunch of cap onto the IR for the long term or for the rest of the season. Uh, that's where we could see that become a situation of a tourist has pretty much been bounced around a little bit of everywhere in this lineup. And he's actually done okay, even in the fourth line, where he's basically driven in four line when he's had to. Uh, but it's, it's, you've seen a little bit better on the season from Kyle Turris, which is good that he's turned it around a little bit, and at least is producing and generating offense. But it's, it's tough for him. And he can't have a solid place to, where he knows he can be uh, on the second line or on the third line or on the fourth line. He's having to kind of change it up wherever he's at. Sometimes it's on the wing or him and Matt Duchesne interchanging the center position on the second line or him being the fourth line center again. So it's tough for him to get into any sort of rhythm when he's not given an opportunity to be in a rhythm. And that's why you have that, that backlog at center right now. And Nick Benino has made a case for himself to stay just by the way that he's been scoring and had that scoring touch and seen a different level of Nick Benino that we haven't seen since he was with the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, as well. So there's a move that needs to be made sometime, especially if they want to continue to keep you know, wingers. I know we'll probably touch on that a little bit later in terms of Craig Smith and Mikhail Glenland. But in order to have some flexibility in terms of the cap, 
they're going to have to make some sort of move, especially when Roman Yossi's contract kicks in next season. So I think Kyle Turris is obviously one of those guys that's going to continue to be on the block. But I don't know if it's going to be the kind of thing at the trade deadline where you move him or you wait till the offseason when some more other when other assets could be included with that. Well, you mentioned Mikhail Grenlin, and I've got him on our notes here that this is a contract year for him. You know, we got him from the wild last year in the trade for Kevin Fiala. It seemed like a good trade at both times for both sides, but it seems like the Preds got him, and I don't know if they're having buyer's remorse or anything, or if they're just not managing him properly. Like I said, since he's been from the wild, he's played 35 games, and he's only had 11 11 points, which is four goals and seven assists, including he broke his goal drought Tuesday night against the Canucks, and it had been almost a month since he scored. Do you think it's mismanagement, or do the Preds look to possibly not renew his contract come next year? Mikael Glenlin is a very talented guy, and it just seems like he hasn't been the best fit. And there's an article that came out on Penalty Box Radio where it looked at the advanced analytics for him and the type of opportunities he's been given. And that's what we're seeing is that it's not the, the type of offensive style the Predators are running or is not fitting him as well, where he tends to work better grinding it out and, and, not, and working with possession instead of working on the rush. And that's been the issue is that the Predators' offense right now which is why we see the defensive scoring so often is that this team scores while in the rush and not while maintaining possession. And that's what's hurt Mikhail Glenlin so much is that he's not fitting that style of offense and it's been a little tough for him. Uh, we're not seeing as many high-danger opportunities uh, from him, high-danger passes that Jordan Matarangas has been tracking uh, for us as well. So it's been frustrating to see that because you know he has the talent. I mean, he's been near 70 points twice in his career, uh, basically just before the trade year. He's been a 65-point-plus player, which there's no reason why he shouldn't be given the other talent surrounding him. So it's one of those things that, uh, I mean, if he does struggle a little bit, then that could help in terms of what he's going to want as a re-signing fee. Uh, Craig Smith also hasn't been doing as best that he could this year, which might drive his price down. But other than that, I don't, I don't know if they're going to want to look at the free agent market because they're not going to be able to afford it with the OC contract kicking in next season as well. So it's it's one of those things you hope he turns it around because, I mean, I want I, I want Mikel Glenlin to be a 60-point-plus player this year. He has that potential. He has that skill level as well. He has that ability to be able to do that. We just haven't really seen that yet. We've seen flashes, but just not enough out of him in terms of finishing. And just so much so that we've seen him play fourth-line minutes, which I know has got to be frustrating for him, uh, but he's got to produce. Well, you mentioned we just signed Roman Yossi, and that leaves only so much extra money in the budget, so to speak. And I do feel like Mikhail Grenland has a bit more of an upside, potentially. He's a high-flying, maybe a, a more prolific scorer than Craig Smith. But if I had to pick one or the other, it's interesting to know which, which way would you go. Because Craig Smith, you mentioned Grenland's having maybe a little bit of trouble coercing into our system and Craig Smith has had more time with the Predators organization so he knows the flow of it so would you rather if you had to choose have only Granlin or Smith would you go with the tried and true Craig Smith who knows the system or would you try to maybe patiently wait it out and hope that Granlin really makes it here and hits that upstride that we, that he's known for I mean at this point if we're having to make a decision right now I'd go with Smith because you know that even, even if he's in a slump he can be very streaky uh, but by the end of the season, if Glenland has a better season, then you go with him. Uh, even though he'll be he'll be more expensive. That's the thing with him is that he'll be a more expensive player, just given the fact that he has a little more talent and he's been a consistent top six player during his career. Uh, but Craig Smith is a consistent twenty goal scorer, aside from basically one season out of his career. 
So it's hard to push that away. And I think he'd be a little bit cheaper. He's a little bit older. And that's it's frustrating because it's hard to make the type of decision. Or then you look at Milwaukee and see, do any of these guys have enough seasoning to be able to step up into a middle six role next season, whether it be Tolvanen or Pitlick or someone else that's a forward there in Milwaukee too. So, I mean, that's where they might be looking at is say, hey, you know, these guys, two contracts are going to expire, then we'll have a guy come in on a TLC and finish out uh, that way there and wait for them to get better. So there's a lot of options the Predators can have. They have a lot of free agents coming up this offseason, a lot of decisions, and not a lot of money to play with. So moving over to defense, let's talk about that third pairing. The third pairing this season has not been good. They've gotten bad knocks, bad reports from everybody, and everybody's wondering, what can we do to make them better? It's kind of in your pick of, is it Dan Ham, Hughes, and show? Because you want Weber or do you want Irwin? And you really just can't pick the both. You, know, you def- definitely don't want them together but you'll always wonder who's the best fit to be with Dan. And I've normally always said, if you're going to give me the choice between Weber and Irwin, give me uh, Dan and Weber because I'll trust them more than I will Irwin on the puck. So we noticed today that uh, David Poyle called up uh, defenseman Steven Santini and forward Matthew Olivier from the Admirals. So, Justin, do you think that Santini will be immediately placed into the third pair next to Ham Hughes? Or will Ham Hughes be sitting and will it become the hey, let's put Santini with either Irwin or Weber to see if he fits either one of them and then put him with Dan and then simply see where that goes. I mean, the way I see it, especially given how they run with an extra defenseman in the lineup, that you don't call up a defenseman from Milwaukee unless you plan on at least playing him. And that's what, that would be my hope is that they're going to see, since Santini came over, he joined the organization uh, as part of the PK Subban trade, as, as obviously many people know. So new to the organization, new, new to the, the type of system that the Predators run. So I'm assuming they wanted him to get a little comfortable in Milwaukee, see what it was like to play in the natural style of, of defense and offense. And he's had a decent start to the season. Milwaukee, I mean, is in first place in the Central Division, in the AHL. So they're off to a very strong start as well. So I think right now, because given what you've seen in the third period, it's, hey, let's, let's give the kid a shot, see what he can do, see if he's responsible out there. Because, again, you, do, you don't call him up if you're not going to at least play him. Because they sent the Salamanca down, so I'd expect Olivier to also get a game out of here. Because, I mean, they have Winnipeg, they have Vancouver, and then St. Louis. So one of those division games, expecting both of them to play in, just to see if they can change things up a little bit, too. And... I've said this before, and I know multiple people have covered it. In terms of third pairing, what I'd really like to see is the Predators trade somehow for a rental veteran defenseman that fits in the style of play that the Predators need that can either, one, play with Matias Eckholm and bump Dante Fabro down to third pairing for him to get protected minutes, or you have a veteran defenseman that fits in the Fred system play with Dan Hughes in the third pairing. Um, that, that's what I'd like to see, that fill that gap, because Dante Fabro. Being a rookie, he's making some rookie mistakes, and it's, again, nothing against him. It's more about rather him be able to be more protected and play protected minutes than have to play second-pairing minutes and be a liability at times. And not saying he's been a liability, but there's been some bad mistakes out there that have led to goals. Uh, and it's just those things he's going to learn. He's going to get better. He has a lot of talent, a lot of skill. He just needs more time. Defensemen take more time to marinate than forwards do. And him being able to play protected minutes, I think, would be much more in his favor for development. Uh, so that's what I'd like to see to help that as well. So uh, I think Santini gets a game, but overall, I, don't, I think that's just kind of a band-aid unless somehow he just continues 
goes boom in, in, in the games he plays in and, and does so well that they keep him up. But I really think it's one of those things you need more of a veteran defenseman to come in. But we shall see. It's still early in the season. or just a quarter of the way through. So there's lots of time to address that. There's lots of time to address the systems. Lots of time for the team's defense to get better. But it has to get better. Team defense for this team has got to be better in order for them to win some games. They cannot continue going on like this and crash and burn mentality. Well, I do have a question that later on I want to ask that could be a possible casualty if the team doesn't get any better. But is there any particular reason why they chose to bring Santini up rather than Donovan or Carrier, who are leading the ads defense with both 10 and 9 points respectively? You would think you want to bring up your top defenseman onto the third pair at least. Well, I, I think with that is that Santini at least has NHL experience um, playing with New Jersey. Uh, so I think it's one of those that like, give him a shot because he's had a pretty good start. The, the coaches have been fairly high on him uh, after the preseason and now seeing what, they, what they've been able to see out of Milwaukee, uh, give him a shot. And I think that's one of those things that Gary has kind of fallen in terms of the prospect system now, uh, unfortunately for him. And Jared Tenorti, I'm not sure is, is going to be the best suited person in there. So I think they're just trying to give you the chance. Uh, again, nothing against him or Donovan or anybody like that. I think they would be okay to slot in. But it's one of those things that they get a defensive quote-unquote prospect in Steven Santini. Uh, let's see what he's made of. Is that, is that kind of way that they're, that they're pushing for right now? Well, I guess I'll go ahead and be the guy to ask the tough questions. You mentioned how the Preds have had the best roster, arguably, they've ever had in franchise history, but yet we're still kind of struggling, it seems, to start the season. So if this kind of maybe underwhelming performances continue to persist, you know, going into Thanksgiving and farther out, when does it become a discussion? When is when is the right time to possibly start asking questions of the coaching staff, other than perhaps uh, Dan Lambert, of course? That's, a, that's the question that a lot of people are bringing up right now, uh, especially when you look at seasons past with other teams that you've had other teams where they've had a little bit of a flip and they made a coaching change in the middle of the season and then they've gone on to win a Stanley Cup. <laughs> I mean, the Pittsburgh Penguins, they worked with them. The St. Louis Blues most recently, last year, it worked with them. So I think that makes people want to question more of, hey, if you know you have the talent to do this and just doesn't seem to be clicking, doesn't mean you need to change the coaching staff. That doesn't seem to be the predator's way in terms of the way that David Poyle runs things. So I think that first they're going to address systems and the way the game is played, kind of like what they did with the power play, and they addressed that in the offseason by hiring Dan Lambert. Uh, and so that's why I think first you would see that, is that they address the system changes first. Kind of like last season with the power play, they took it away from Kevin McCarthy and gave it to Dan Muse in late February, early March and gave the duties over there, still didn't really improve. They knew they had to make another change. So I think it's going to come down to systems within the coaching staff first, and then the hot seat discussion will begin. I think it's uh, one of those things to look at how they end this month and begin next month, uh, because if they can put together a couple wins and keep hovering there, because right now, I mean, they're closer to Minnesota at the bottom than they are to Colorado or near the top. Uh, and that's a little frustrating there, but it's still not many points when you look at it. And it gets a difference of seven points to first place and five points to last place. Uh, so not that much because it's so early in the season, but you, you, they need to put together a couple wins against some top teams here and just play good hockey. It'd be different if we were talking about these games where they lost by one goal and we saw that, oh, okay, you know, they played a really good game. The pucks just didn't fall the way they needed to in these games. It'd be very different then because then you know, at least know 
the Preds are playing well. They just haven't been able to win. And if you keep playing this way and keep playing in a good fashion, then they're going to put together some wins. But the thing is, the problem is they played poorly. They had that massive breakdown against Calgary, huge franchise record-setting breakdown against Colorado, and then they come back off of a two-week road trip against Chicago at home and completely blow it. That's not what you want to see. It's not playing good hockey and getting a loss. It's playing bad hockey and getting whooped. Uh, so I think that would change things there, too. So as long as they start playing good hockey, even if they lose or just get some points in some games, that changes the whole narrative of what we're looking at right now. So I don't think you really start hot seat discussions until you get into December and get through the Winter Classic, if anything, too, especially on the All-Star break when you really start evaluating because then you start looking at the trade market and all that stuff there, too. So they have a lot of time to put things together. But I understand why people are getting a little frustrated because they've seen other teams make a change and do really, really well, especially with the talent on the roster. So I understand the discussion. I don't think it's unwarranted because you can see that changes need to be made, whether it's system-wide or the way the players are playing. Something has to change mentally uh, for this team to get back on track. So, Justin, a few more things before we um, let you go for the evening. So, you've been with the Preds media for a long time, and you've seen a lot of things happen from the good and the bad, especially on the press row area. So, uh, real quick, what is your favorite memory from the press row? Uh, work Working with the likes of Adam, Martell, Michael, and others day-to-day. I mean, my favorite moment has probably got to be the triple overtime game. <laughs> just because of the sheer fact of how freaking late it was when that game finally ended and the time that I finally left the arena. And I talk about the triple overtime game against the San Jose Sharks. That was, it was an 8.30 start, so it already was going to be a late game. And then it has to go to triple overtime because, of course, it does. Uh, and then I don't think I left the arena. I think it was about 3 o'clock in the morning. When I left the arena, uh, Jeremy K. Gover and I filmed our post-game show, and yeah, it was it was a really late night, but it was fun. It was a fun night because of how the team won, what happened, the celebration. Because it was just it was a big moment in franchise history with the way they won that game too. Uh, so I think that's one of the most memorable things uh, in terms of in the locker room. One of the memorable things for me uh, was uh, Christopher Martell punting a trash can. Uh, <laughs> that was that's one of the most memorable ones for me, just because. It was pretty funny how clumsy he can be, but he has a heart of gold and is such a good dude that it was just hilarious because you, there's trash cans everywhere for guys to put their tape in at post game, and he did not see it because he's so tall, and he punted a trash can. Uh, so it was pretty funny that way, but those are some of my memorable moments. It's fun being up there with people that you can call your friends and being able to cover games like that. Uh, so those are some of the things that stand out to me. So fun fact on that triple overtime game against the Sharks, I actually had tickets to that game that night and I gave them to Daniel and a friend to go watch a Marvel movie for my birthday. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I know. Right. And I remember the movie, I think it was civil war that we went to go see. And I remember uh, it was a late show in the movie. You know, you're not expecting this game to go over time. And me and my friend pulled the phone up and all of a sudden it's like triple overtime. And the only way I knew that game ended is I was watching the game on the NHL app, like not watching the television version, but just watching the screen. And I saw it flip over the Preds win. I was like, holy crap. That is amazing. At least you missed the game for a good movie. 
<laughs> it was it was a very good movie. I got I got I still get flack over it, but you know, hey, it was a good movie. Yeah, at least at least you won't get it from me then. <laughs> so, final thing, as I said at the beginning of the interview, you are the commissioner of the Southeastern Collegiate Hockey Conference. So, for those listening to the show, if you're not aware, college hockey in the South has become a big thing. We've got two ice centers now in Nashville area, one in Bellevue, one in Antioch. And we've got three college teams here alone of MTSU, uh, UT, and Vanderbilt. And as I said, our friend Justin here is the commissioner. Justin, what have you done to increase the sport of college hockey in this area? Oh, gosh. Uh, it's, it's one of those things for me that it's always been a passion for me to grow the sport of hockey. And that's why I, I took it on and, and was honored to have the duty to be the commissioner of the SECHC because I felt it was an opportunity for me as someone that covers the game of hockey and a media experience to be able to talk about the sport more and put it more on the forefront of people's minds. And it's really exciting that we've seen the growth of that conference to where we span from Arkansas all the way down to South Florida, just like the SEC in terms of football. But we have schools that are part of the the ACC and, and other football conferences as part of this. We have 16 teams at a college hockey conference, which is huge. Uh, it may be non-varsity hockey, but it is still very fun. These kids play their hearts out on the ice and they really want to win the championship. And the way that I see it is that whatever we can do to increase awareness of these teams and the, the effort that the coaches, the players, the supporters, and everybody put into it, then it's just going to help grow the sport of hockey wherever it's being played. Uh, whether that's covering the games, taking pictures, getting video, just going and being in attendance and coming out there, it's very important to me that people are at least aware because you think of how big some of these schools are and how many hockey fans, not just Predators fans, but hockey fans are at a lot of these schools, they just realized their school had a college hockey team that'd probably be going. And so one of my main things to do is make sure people know that their school has a college hockey team. That's been one of the important things to me is to really push the word out about these, about these clubs. And so that's why the, the conference championship at Fordyce center Bellevue is going to be big for me to really push that out. We have a great partner in the national predators and Fordyce center Bellevue uh, to really help grow that as well, to get people out there. We have a great staff of volunteers that come out and help grow the game. And that shows right there how much the game's growing is that when we get 50 to 60 volunteers, people that want to come and just donate their time, to help run a college hockey tournament. It just shows how much college hockey is growing here in Nashville because you have people that want to come and experience it. Uh, truth be told, with the with the, the showcase that's coming here, the Country Classic is going to feature some top women's NCAA teams. I mean, Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, Harvard are all coming here to play. And then just announced, you have the, the Hall of Fame Classics coming next year with North Dakota and Penn State want to play a game at Bridgestone Arena. So it just shows the demand and the fun that people see in college hockey in Nashville. And, I hope in the near future we see NCAA hockey here because it is a lot of fun. It's great to see prospects play. It's great to see that college hockey atmosphere, having a pet band in the stands and people there doing chants and cheers and a true college hockey atmosphere. And I want to see that grow and hopefully we'll see it here in Nashville uh, as a home team with MTSU or, or Vanderbilt or even over in Knoxville with UT going NCAA here in the near future. Well, Justin, you certainly are a guy that wears a lot of hats, and you seem to be a bit of an ambassador for hockey in the, here in the Middle Tennessee area. We certainly appreciate all that you do for uh, trying to grow the game of hockey, and it's why, one of the reasons why we call you the pod father, because uh, you do a lot around here. So we certainly appreciate you taking the time to be with us here tonight. Absolutely, guys. Thanks so much. Uh, anytime you need it, just happy to support you. Keep up the good work and uh, keep pushing out what you do. I really appreciate it. 
No problem, man. We are glad to be a part of your ever-growing network. And where can people find you on Twitter and follow the uh, SECHC? Uh, so on Twitter, Justin B. Bradford, um, and it's SECHC Hockey is on Twitter. And then you can also Southeastern Collegiate Hockey Conference on Facebook as well. And we'll really start amping up the coverage uh, here next semester. A lot of these schools are going on break uh, for the holidays. They won't be playing again until January. So it gives a lot of opportunity to help build this over the holiday break and do put a lot of focus on all of our teams. Cool deal. Thank you so much, Justin. We'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks, guys. So, Matt, as we get ready to wrap the show up tonight, do we have any league news or milestones we didn't hit at the beginning of the show? Yeah, I've got a couple news items I'll mention here uh, as we go along. Uh, It seems that the New York Islanders have put Andrew Ladd on waivers, and uh, that's a big deal considering he's still garnering five and a half mil through uh, the 2023 season. Ouch. And similarly, New Jersey also placed uh, goalie Corey Snyder on waivers for the purpose of being reassigned to the AHL because he has a no-trade clause, and he has a $6 million contract. So another huge name guy that's going to be actually sent down to the AHL, uh, despite garnering, uh, you know, a a ton of money that's just sitting and eating up the salary cap. But uh, So that kind of stinks to hear. But uh, a little more positive is uh, everybody's loved goalie, as Roberto Luongo has rejoined Florida Panthers as a special advisor to the GM. So we can tell that his retirement didn't really last that long. He was anxious and excited to get back in the game of hockey in some way, kind of in the front office. So that'll be exciting going forward. And Kyle, this one is going to be a good one for you. I don't know if you noticed, uh, Carolina Hurricanes celebrated World Kindness Day the other day. I saw that. And I saw that they tweeted every team except one. Oh, except one. They did not tweet the Washington Capitals. Oh, I didn't notice that. They are still salty about last year. <laughs> I did not notice that. But with the exception of the Capitals, they had a little short tweet, just a little kind word to every team it was. And I thought that was kind of interesting. So uh, putting putting most of the grudges aside just for a moment and, and saying a nice word, uh, that looks good in the PR department. And uh, what also looks good in the fan department is the New York Islanders uh, are on a 9-0-1 streak. They had at one point a 10-game win streak, and that's incredible. They're just soaring there in their conference, and uh, it's always good to see a team be able to put something together like that. And here's a good one for you, Kyle. Washington Capitals' own Jake the Snake Verona pulls off a Pavel Dadsuk move in the shootout the other night where he uh, toe drags, essentially, pulls the goalie. He bites, he pulls it out wide, and then goes uh, top shelf with it. Uh, a classic Pavel Datsuk move. If you look on the internet, just go ahead and go to YouTube and pull up best like shootout moves of all time. And I believe Datsuk owns like two or three out of the ten. I think they limited them. I forget if it was either one or two, but they put another one in the extra credits like a bonus just because they couldn't give him too many of the ten. But uh, Pavel Datsuk, they call him the magic man, and Verona did a Datsuk move, and that was incredible to watch. My jaw dropped a little bit. That that was what's up. So that was cool to see the other day. But uh, one of the guys who won't be doing any Datsukian goals for a little foreseeable future, that is Toronto's Mitch Marner. He is going to be out four to six weeks with an ankle sprain, and uh, that's not really good news for a team that's currently 21st in the league, despite uh, having three players 
at $10 million or more salary mark. So uh, they currently have $0 in cap space, by the way. So uh, Toronto's not looking good. And, and that's kind of reflected because you've been seeing some rumblings about maybe them thinking about letting go of Mike Babcock, too. So uh, don't know. The situation is a little uncertain in Toronto. And the fans there, let's just say they don't, uh, they're do not they not very forgiving. They are very demanding. Oh, no, the they're not. I read that today, and I was like, if Babcock goes from Toronto, I was like, a team would be crazy not to snap him up. He's such a good coach. Yeah, one of the top three coaches ever, I'd say. Um, so I've got a couple milestones I guess we'll mention too as well. Uh, John Carlson has just been on a tear to start the NHL season. He now has the recorded the eighth instance in which a D-man has needed 20 or less games to reach 30 points. Uh, one of the others to do so was Al McKinnis in 1990. That was the most recent. And the rest were all pretty much Bobby Orr. So. Of course they are. Yeah, John Carlson is just absolutely on fire lately. And a little news back home in Nashville is that Pecorine is now the first goalie to have a season opening point streak of 10 or more at age 36 or greater. And speaking of age, uh, Zdeno Chara, it's looks, the guy that looks like everybody's grandpa, he's a very tall man, but he is now the sixth player, the sixth defenseman in history to reach 1,500 games. And the top five guys, the five guys ahead of him, are all in the Hall of Fame. So uh, whenever Zdeno Chara's career is over, you can expect him. You can go ahead and mark it down. He will be in the Hall of Fame uh, whenever his career is over. And that seems to be like whenever he feels good and ready to make it over because he's one of those guys – old guy he seems to have a timelessness about him he continues to play and and uh, stays hel- healthy for the most part so uh good on Zdeno Chara and uh, lastly we'll end on teammate Brad Marchand I like to end on him he is actually the first player in in NHL history to score in the first 15 seconds of a period on seven different occasions so that's Brad Marchand for you doing something sneaky and this is normally the point, Matt, where I would look over across the table at Daniel and say, Daniel, what are our upcoming games? But I look across the table and there's nobody there. So I guess I'm going to have to do it. So I thought about trying to mimic Daniel, but I can't do his voice properly. So I will simply just say, tomorrow night we're going to be playing in Winnipeg. Thursday night we'll play in Vancouver. Then we're going to be on the road to play St. Louis on Saturday night. Then coming right back home on the following Monday to play St. Louis again. Then we have another home game against Vegas. And then on 29th and 30th, it's a back-to-back with Carolina and Florida on the road. And then we will be recording again on the 2nd. So we've got a pretty good homestand and two-game road trip. And, you know, let's hope the Preds turn it around. Yes, well said, Kyle. Let's hope that they can uh, get things a little bit more together here in the upcoming week. So we want to say thank you once again to Justin Bradford, the editor-in-chief of Penalty Box Radio, for calling in to join us. Um, you can find the show on Twitter, at Music City Gold. You can find us on iTunes, at Music City Gold. Or you can follow the Penalty Box Radio iTunes feed and find our show there as well. So until next time, guys, we'll see you on the ice. You've been listening to Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at Steve Dan Drum, and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Music City Gold or Penalty Box Radio on iTunes or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.